Hello everyone. My name is Purva Jamodak, research fellow for international relations, geoeconomics at CPPR, the Center for Public Policy Research. I welcome you to CPPR's podcast series Policy Beyond Politics. In today's episode, we bring you the deliberations from our webinar on US-India trade relations, taking them to the next level. This webinar is the third of four webinars that CPPR has hosted with the support of the US Consulate General Chennai as part of a project studying US-India relations, change, continuity and transformation. It was held on November 10th, 2021. The first one on US-India as partners in climate action, a clean energy agenda was held in June 2021 and the second one was held in August 2021. That was on the partnership in the Indo-Pacific region. The podcast episodes of the two webinars are available on CPPR's podcast channel. The speakers for today's episode are Dr. Rupa Chanda and Mr. Mark Linscom. Dr. Rupa Chanda is the Director of Trade, Investment and Innovation at UNESCAP Bangkok. She is on leave from the Indian Institute of Management, IIM Bangalore, where she has been a professor of economics for over 25 years. She has worked as an economist at the IMF and also briefly served as the head of UNSCAP's sub-regional office for South and Southwest Asia in New Delhi. Mark Linscott is a non-resident senior fellow with the Atlantic Council's South Asia Center and a senior advisor with the Asia Group, where he works closely with clients on trade and investment priorities across South Asia. He was the assistant U.S. trade representative for South and Central Asian affairs and was responsible for the development of trade policy with countries comprising South and Central Asia, including Bangladesh, Bhutan, India, Nepal, Pakistan, and Sri Lanka. He also participated in the bilateral trade policy forum with India. I hope you will find their deliberations interesting. Over to you, Rupa. While there is a lot of potential in this relationship, the potential really hasn't been realized. I would say the bilateral trade and economic relations in general, there's underperformance. And the other point to really notice is that there's a lot of asymmetry in the relationship in terms of relative dependence of India and the US on each other. And I'd like to just highlight a few statistics to convey this asymmetry and the possibilities for maybe making this more balanced by diversifying and expanding relations. So as was mentioned in 2019, the overall uh, bilateral trade reached $149 billion from a mere $19 billion in 2000. So that looks like a huge increase. However, if one looks at the global landscape, you know, where does US-India fit within this overall context? US-India trade only constitutes a mere 2% of total US trade. So basically, the point to make is that while trade has grown, we're not so significant as a trading partner. The U.S. was India's largest export destination, accounting for 17% of India's exports in 2019. It was the third largest source of goods imports. However, in contrast, India was the U.S.'s 10th largest source of imports, its ninth largest trading partner, and 13th largest export market, accounting for a very small percentage of U.S. exports. So the point I'm trying to make is that while the U.S. is important for India, both for sourcing imports and as an export market, the same is not true for the U.S. So strategically, we may be important. Trade relations may be growing. Investment is also growing from the U.S. into India. But the 
reverse is more important, meaning the US is more important for us than is India in the landscape. Bilateral trade with India is only about 3% of US world trade. So the numbers have quintupled in value terms over the last two decades, but they fare very poorly when you compare with trade figures with other developing economies. So if you take the current rate of growth of 8.5% per year between 2009 to 19, US-India trade would reach $358 billion by the end of 2030. That would fall short of the sort of uh, bilateral goal that we have set for attaining a bilateral trade value of around 500. Uh, And also, if we compare with the US trade with Asian peers, such as Korea and Vietnam, the gap is even more clear. The level of goods traded between the US and Korea is nearly one and a half times larger than between the US and India. The Korea's GDP is roughly 40% smaller than India's. Similarly, Vietnam, which started with a much lower base in bilateral trade, its trade with the US is 84% that of India's, whereas India's GDP is 10 times larger than that of Vietnam. China, of course, is a very different league. So clearly the point I, I would like to make is relative to the size of India's economy and potential, the trade relationship seems to have underperformed vis-a-vis the US. In terms of the trade basket also, if we look, It's dominated by goods historically, but we do notice a shift towards services. Uh, The share of services has been growing from about 25% in 2000 to 40% in recent years. That's really because of the dominance of IT, IT IT-enabled services in the trade basket. But here too, the relationship could be more balanced. India was the US's seventh largest services trading partner in 2018, accounting for about 4% of total US services trade but this is half or even less than the share of other countries such as the UK and Canada. The other countries capture a larger share of US service imports and also account for the US's main service export markets compared to only 3% of US service exports going to India. So basically there's a lot of unrealized potential given the size of India's economy, given its strengths in the service sector and also the strengths of the US in the service sector in particular. And there are various reasons for this, I'll come to that. If you look at the trade balance, of course, we have a positive trade balance vis-a-vis the US in both goods as well as services. Uh, But this has been a bone of contention as well, because uh, the point made by the US is that this is partly a reflection of India's failure to provide adequate market access for US goods. Uh, It's also true in the case of services. US has interest in certain service sectors, and it perceives India as being relatively restrictive in many of these areas. But of course, there are areas where the bilateral relationship has been very strong and where there's been strong growth. For example, US energy exports in recent years have shown strong growth. Uh, Higher education is another very important area. We can talk more about these uh, later, the strengths in these areas. In 2020, just to give some statistics, Indian students enrolled at US colleges and universities contributed to over $8 billion to the US economy. The total number of Indian students in the US has doubled over the last decade. Uh, The strong people-to-people ties, which were mentioned, uh, give rise to a very strong Indian-American diaspora, which could potentially be leveraged, which has already, in fact, played a very important role in strengthening bilateral investment and trade ties. If we look at labor mobility, India tops among the countries receiving skilled category visas like H-1B, and it's also a very important recipient of L-1 visas. So that shows the importance of skilled mobility between the two countries. On the investment side, the US has been one of the biggest investors in India. It made $46 billion worth of investments in 2019. 
There are over 2,000 U.S. companies in India, including every major Fortune 500 company. On the Indian side, too, there are a lot of important companies, over 200, in fact, in the U.S., which are creating lots of jobs there. Uh, recent relaxation of FDI restrictions and sourcing rules in sensitive areas like single brand retailing do open up prospects for U.S. companies like Apple. But again, if you compare with U.S. investments in other emerging economies, and I'm not taking China, even if you take a country like Brazil, you could say that the potential has not been realized. And there are lots of concerns on the U.S. side about regulatory transparency and predictability issues with India's investment regime. So basically, the figures reveal that the potential for growing trade, investment, and other ties between the countries is very strong. So the question is why the bilateral relationship has underperformed. Basically, in my view, this reflects a combination of factors. It reflects longstanding differences on a very large list of issues, such as NTBs that was mentioned, sanitary and phytosanitary standards, technical barriers to trade, differences over agricultural support programs, price controls on medical devices, curbs on imports of dairy products in India, ad hoc tariff tariff hikes and frictions over trade preferences in recent years, sensitivities around temporary visas and arrangements to facilitate the movement of Indian skilled workers. I can go in length on these issues later. And of course, many sensitive emerging areas like e-commerce, data protection, and barriers to US firms in India due to limits on foreign ownership, local sourcing and presence requirements, restrictions on access to technology and defense equipment, the list is really very long. So the point is the potential is strong, but lots and lots of sensitive and contentious issues on both sides. The two countries also have opposing stances on major issues that are up for discussion at the WTO, making bilateral engagement on these matters also difficult. Further, lack of structured bilateral trade agreements or consultative forums between the two hinders progress in resolving some of these issues and makes it difficult to realize the potential. I'll get into these differences and issues later. I'm sure we'll have time for further discussion. But just to summarize, the US-India relationship does hold a lot of promise. Trends suggest opportunities in many sectors, such as defense, aerospace, energy, transport, e-commerce, digital economy, robotics, AI, electrical vehicles, and so on in the new age sectors. And opportunities in even traditional ones like infrastructure, textiles, gems, machinery parts. There are also bright prospects in services and for leveraging people-to-people -people relations and cooperation in areas like healthcare, education, science, and technology. The main issue I see is to identify the low-hanging fruits that can yield quick benefits so that bilateral discussions can be reinvigorated. While in parallel, over a medium-term, long-term, the more significant areas of concern, which really cannot be resolved quickly, they have to be continuously discussed through dialogues and through structured mechanisms, bilaterally and in international forums. Now I will call upon Mark to give his intervention. Um, it's, it's clear that the, uh, the context here is that the trade relationship, the US-India bilateral trade relationship uh, is underperforming and has underperformed for many years, despite um, growth, uh, you know, a positive trend line um, it is still underperforming. And, you know, the, um, there are very compelling arguments 
for it to be a much bigger trade relationship, both in terms of engagement between the two countries, between the governments of the two countries, and in the value of, of goods and services trade between the two countries. Um, one compelling argument, certainly the size of the economies, the US being the number one uh, economy in the world by GDP, uh, India being number six and rising on that scale. Um, at, at, at some point in time, um, India will be the third largest economy uh, in the world. And, and the moment is, is, uh, is certainly arriving um, when the two sides need to work uh, together more on trade and to increase their, uh, their trade and investment levels. A second compelling argument uh, relates to the importance of the strategic relationship. And this is happening across so many different fronts. Uh, you know, we've had the two plus two uh, in place for some time. Uh, there's a shared interest in building up um, the Indo-Pacific Alliance. Uh, there's been increased activity and attention uh, to the Quad, uh, along with Japan and Australia. Um, and you know, what is lacking is a strong trade relationship to complement those uh, strategic uh, engagements. That said, uh, as Professor Chandra set forth, um, there are important factors arguing in the other direction towards um, continuing modest aspirations on the trade front. Um, there's first a history of low ambition um, in bilateral engagement on trade. Yes, there's been a trade policy forum. The, the central venue for um, dealing with difficult bilateral trade issues, um, the TPF has been in place since um, 2004 or 2005, uh, but it's always had a limited agenda and it has had limited accomplishments, frankly. Secondly, there, um, there is a history of problems between the two countries. And this is particularly true on the multilateral front. Much of my experience uh, at USTR was with respect to the WTO. Um, just to be very frank, um, historically, the two countries have, have generally been arch enemies in the WTO. They have not seen eye to eye, their alliances are very different. Um, their perspectives on multilateral trade issues, very different. Um, there have been moments of high drama. Um, I've lived through some of those. Um, in 2013 in Bali at uh, the WTO's ninth ministerial conference, I was with the USTR, Ambassador Mike Froman, uh, and our ambassador in Geneva, Michael Punk. Um, when we had a showdown over the trade facilitation agreement um, and public stockholding, um, two sleepless nights um, with the expectations of every other country in the WTO that it was up to the United States and India to solve the problem. Um, so, you know, that's just one example of the challenges that we've confronted um, on the multilateral front. And, and we have a next ministerial conference, MC12 scheduled in a few weeks um, and um, likelihood of some differences of views between the United States and India um, at that ministerial conference. Um, thirdly, at least from a U.S. perspective, there's been a bit of a, a whack-a-mole perspective on trade with India. Um, 
that there have been uh, an array of challenges um, to entering um, or sustaining trade uh, in the uh, Indian market uh, as a consequence of trade restrictions um, and lots of associated frustrations with um, the inability to resolve many of those issues as the list has grown larger um, from import bans to import licensing, which still does exist and bureaucratic um, uh, challenges associated with that, um, tariffs, um, technical barriers to trade and other non-tariff barriers, uh, restrictions on foreign domestic uh, investment. So you name it, the list is very large. Uh, now we have a Biden administration with its trade policy. And frankly, that trade policy looks very much like the Trump trade policy in terms of many of its essentials. Um, it's, it's very much an America first trade policy. And it, it, this is not so new. I mean, every American administration, like the, the administration in virtually every country um, is um, very concerned with its own trade interests. Um, but it's, it's very explicitly so as part of this administration, just like it was during the Trump administration. There's also an inclination, certainly a comfort level with trade protectionism in the Biden administration. And this has been accelerated by the circumstances surrounding COVID, um, concerns with China, um, a lot of emphasis on security of supply chains, but a, a very nationalistic perspective on uh, security of supply chains. Um, thirdly, like the Trump administration, there is a preoccupation with labor interests. Um, there have been very frequent references to a worker-centric trade policy. And this is really a blue-collar focus. It's, it's less so agriculture and services workers. It's very much blue-collar. And that was definitely a dynamic in the Trump administration as well. Finally, <clears throat> what is unique to the, to the Biden administration in terms of trade is a very explicit, um, uh, a very explicit policy against doing new um, free trade agreements for the moment. Um, President Biden himself has been very clear that the focus is on domestic recovery, uh, responding to COVID. It's not on doing new free trade um, agreements. I would also say that it's very Europe focused to the extent there have been accomplishments so, so far. Um, those have been with uh, European uh, allies. So where do things stand now in terms of the bilateral India-US relationship? On the positive side, there is re-engagement. There's a lot, lot of work going on behind the scenes um, a, and a first serious exchange um, related to the restarting of the trade policy forum, uh, the TPF is occurring in, in just under two weeks. Um, it will be the first TPF meeting since its abandonment during the Trump administration. In, in fact, um, Pervaza referred to this. The last TPF was uh, four years ago, just over four years ago. In fact, I, I was the assistant USTR at that time. I sat next to uh, Robert Lighthizer, the USTR at that time uh, for that last TPF. And uh, it was very low ambition. Frankly, Ambassador 
Lighthizer was not a, a big fan of the TPF. He didn't like joint statements. Um, and uh, there were no more TPFs after that. A real focus instead on negotiating a, a bilateral trade deal as part of the GSP review, the review of um, preferences for India under the generalized system of um, preferences. So the reality check at this point in time, you know, it's positive with the TPF just two weeks away. Um, that said, there are potentially slim pickings for that, um, that meeting in terms of very concrete outcomes. A big factor is that the United States does not have um, the ability to offer a reinstatement of India's GSP benefits at this point in time. And that's because the program has been suspended. Um, the authorizing legislation for GSP expired uh, at the end of last year. Um, the Congress has, has yet to renew that legislation. So the program is not currently uh, in place. And consequently, uh, USTR is not in a position to um, provide a, an ironclad commitment to reinstate India's benefits under the, um, under the GSP program. Um, so the United States has, has had to walk back its, um, its, its ability to make an offer in that area. And India, understandably, will, um, will proceed transactionally in terms of what it is willing to offer when it is not in a position to obtain GSP at this point in time. The most likely outcomes, I think, are on agriculture. Hopefully, there will be outcomes. Um, there, there's been very important work on certain agriculture issues. Um, ideally, there can be some, some results there. Um, there is the possibility of um, some uh, achievements on intellectual property rights, very much low-hanging fruit. Um, but it's clear that India uh, is increasingly understanding the importance of IP with respect to promoting uh, innovation uh, in India. Uh, ideally, there could be a result on medical devices. Uh, we should not expect much on the digital front. And, and this is where the two countries really need to work together. Um, they've been moving in different directions for some years on digital trade policies, whether it's data localization or um, treatment of uh, personal data, um, trans transborder data, um, uh, transmission. Uh, these are all issues that are, are just not being addressed by the two sides. And it is an important for, it's an important moment for the two sides to work together um, on those issues. I will conclude with a bigger vision, what I think really needs to be done to um, ensure that there's the right kind of focus on the bilateral trade relationship that the necessary resources are being devoted. And that is to have a joint vision uh, for a much more substantial trade relationship, for a future relationship that could be comprehensive, um, could build towards being comprehensive over time, and could even eventually involve um, the negotiation of a free trade agreement. 
it's clear that the Biden administration for the moment is not doing new FTAs, but that does not mean that it can't do smaller agreements. For example, um, many of the components that were part of efforts to do a Trump, um, a Trump era uh, trade re- trade agreement could be accomplished uh, under the Biden administration, a smaller kind of agreement. And that kind of agreement could provide confidence towards doing more comprehensive work and exploring the possibility of a free trade agreement. So, you know, at this point in time, I, ironically, both sides are, you know, very committed to working together in the Indo-Pacific, um, yet neither is part of the significant regional agreements in the Indo-Pacific area, whether it's the CPTPP um, or RCEP. Again, it argues for the two sides to work together bilaterally um, to devote the time and effort to build up that relationship. With this, we would like to thank all our listeners for listening in so intently. You can find more such podcasts from CPPR on relevant policy issues on our website, www.cppr.in and on our social media accounts. You can search by typing hashtag policy beyond politics podcast. We will be back again soon with another episode of the policy beyond politics podcast. Goodbye and thank you.